Hello, friends, and welcome to the Everyday Truth Podcast with Kurt Skelly. We are here to show that the Bible is relevant to your life every single day. And we're glad you joined us here for the conversation. Right now, we're studying the book of Revelation in a series called The End is the Beginning. Now, let's join Kurt for today's episode. And welcome back, friends, to today's episode of Everyday Truth. If it looks like I'm a bit happier today, it is because I am a bit happier today. And you'll know why here in a moment as I introduce my mug of the day, because today I just want to drink coffee and pet my dog. Look at that. I just want to drink coffee and pet my dog. So that's an appropriate mug after yesterday's introduction. I thought I wanted to share that. We have had a number of dogs over the years in my lifetime, and I have loved every single one of them and expect to see every one of them in heaven one day. Don't know if that's theologically correct, but I'm kind of holding out on that one. Revelation chapter 14 uh, in your Bible. Uh, today, we are talking about the lamb and the victory that Jesus brings, the 144,000 uh, that have endured the time of great tribulation, have been faithful to preach the gospel. Uh, There's a heavenly song that has erupted in their honor, singing about their experience, a song that only can be learned by the 144,000. And I want to go back there again today, verse number three, Revelation 14 and verse three, and they sung as it were a new song before the throne. So interesting that the song that's being sung is being sung in honor to God. It's before the throne. I think that's something that we have to keep in mind when it comes to music. And that is that the music that we sing that's worship music ought to be music that's sung before the throne. It's music that we're directing toward God and toward the glory of God, and for his magnification. So it's before the throne. And the song is about the 144,000, but it's a song that's sung in honor to God. So how does that work together? Is this a song about people, or is this a song about God? Well, the answer is yes. Why? Because as his people, our lives ought to be about him. And as his people, our testimony ought to reflect praise and honor to him. So the new song is new in the sense that it's a fresh song about the experience of, uh, the passion of, the commitment of the 144,000. So in that sense, we should celebrate every new song that honors the Lord. Why? Because it's born out of the experience of my own testimony for the Lord. We ought to, we ought to be effusive in our praise, and we ought to be writing poems to God, and we ought to be expressing in carefully chosen words our love for God, and we ought to be putting to music the experiences we have with our God. So in that sense— Every generation of Christians ought to be writing new songs. They're good. 
Uh, every, every song that you sing was a new song at one point that came out of the life experience of an Isaac Watts or out of the devotional life of a Fanny Crosby or to go way back people like Martin Luther or to go way, way, way back to people like David or the other psalmists like Asaph and others. Uh, these were poems and songs that they wrote expressing their love for God, their dedication to God, their faith in God. And I think that we miss something generationally when we're not writing our own story. Now, does that mean that we take old songs and put them on the shelf and never sing them again? Of course not. No, there's value in them as well. The entire book of Psalms is the collection of of these kinds of songs, and that's a wonderful thing, and we ought to celebrate that and learn from it. But certainly, uh, these kinds of songs, like that of Revelation chapter 14, verse 3, have value as well because they speak of our experience, they speak of our testimony, but they speak ultimately to the God that sustained and the God that blessed and the God that saved and the God that redeemed. Look at verse number three again, where the Bible says that no man could learn that song, but the 144,000 which were redeemed from the earth. Uh, the song of redemption is the song that only saved sinners can, can sing. It's a song that holy angels cannot sing, and it's a wonderful truth. Now, you and I might not be able to sing this song because we're not one of the 144,000, but we can sing redeemed, how I love to proclaim it, redeemed by the blood of the lamb. We can sing these wonderful songs that have been written even in recent years that turn our hearts and souls to the Lord. Uh, I love that new song, all my life you have been faithful. All my life, you have been so, so good. And uh, there are other great, great songs that you and I can sing for sure. So I love Revelation chapter 14 and verse 3. Look at verse number 4 of our text where the Bible says, These, so now that's a reference back to the 144,000, Revelation chapter 14 and verse 4. These are they which were not defiled with women, for they are virgins. So obviously they're men not devout with women, uh, they're virgins. So uh, virgin Jewish men who have been preaching the gospel, who comprise the 144,000 about whom we're speaking. So uh, why? Why then are they virgins? What does that mean? Well, in its strictest sense, it means that these are they that have kept themselves pure, Uh, Virgins in the sense that they are unmarried, but also have kept themselves sexually pure. So we would even use that terminology today. Uh, Do you know that uh, the Apostle Paul kind of spoke to this in 1 Corinthians chapter 7? And I would would ask you maybe to consider going to our our website for our church, faithva, as in Virginia, faithva.org go to the media section and look under the series that I did when I preached from 1 Corinthians. I talked about the fractured church. That's the name of the series. And you'll find in that series three messages I preached from 1 Corinthians chapter 7. I think it's the third message. It might be the second one, but I think it's the third message when I talked about uh, what it meant to, uh, to, 
to actually desire singleness, uh, to uh, aspire to, to the celibate lifestyle like the Apostle Paul. Now, does that mean that uh, most people should not be married? No, I, I think most people should be married. But the Apostle Paul spoke about a season of great trial and great difficulty where it's probably best in that scenario not to be married. Uh, for instance, if if we know we're going to go through a time of great war or great famine or great uh, uh, great uh, uh, national tragedy, that's probably not the time to be thinking about getting married lest I, I die and leave my wife a widow. Uh, it's a time to consider just buckling down and being celibate for the cause of Christ. I think that's the idea here is that these men, it's not that they don't love women in the sense that they want to be married. It's the, it's the idea that they understand that these are dark, dark days that require big, big commitment. Uh, this is spiritual warfare and they have chosen celibacy uh, to give themselves entirely to the work of the ministry and the preaching of the gospel in purity. Look at verse number four again. So these are they which were not defiled with women, for they are virgins. These are they which follow the lamb whithersoever he goeth. These were redeemed from among men, being the first fruits unto God and to the lamb. But I love some of those descriptors, don't you? The Bible says they are they are they who are following the Lamb wherever He goes, and is that not a great encapsulating testimony of any believer that they follow Jesus wherever He goes? Now it's interesting because it's almost like a, a role reversal. A, a, a Lamb is typically the follower. I mean, the, a Lamb follows the shepherd, but here we see a reversal here at the Lamb. They follow the lamb wherever he goes. Now, that's the greatest commitment we can make to the will of God, and that is just to be sensitive to our fellowship of Jesus, you know, to, to, to stay close to him, to love him, to read his word, to understand his character, to do what he would want us to do. I, I love to describe myself as a follower of Jesus. Too often we describe ourselves in terms of our denomination or in terms of our college affiliation or, or some other descriptor. And how much better to say, no, I'm a, I'm a follower of the Lamb. I, I like what we said a couple episodes ago in chapter number one, where we talked about, uh, or rather chapter number 14 and verse number one, we talked about the seal. I think it was last episode. We talked about the seal of God in their forehead It's not the seal of your college. It's not the seal of your church name or the seal of your denominational name. No, it's the seal of God. And here we find that a description of the 144,000 are these are they that went wherever the lamb went. They followed Jesus wherever he went. And that's a great description for any one of us. And then the Bible says at the end of verse number of verse number four, that they were the first fruits unto God and to the Lamb. So what does that mean, that these 144,000 were the first fruits? Well, in order to understand that term, you have to understand a bit about agriculture. So in an agricultural society, let's say you're growing whatever, barley or, or wheat, or you know, just say a fruit crop, whatever you're growing, there are, there are always in any harvest 
uh, certain parts of that harvest that come to fruition that bear fruit earlier than the main harvest. It's kind of like if you've ever, this is a crazy illustration, but I like popcorn. So when you cook popcorn in the microwave, you'll put it in there and after about a minute, you'll get one or two pops. Pop, 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 just a one or two pops. Those are the first fruits. And then after a while, it just sounds like a machine gun. Pop, 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 pop. And then at the end, you'll have a, a few last pops. And you want to make sure you don't leave it in too long because you don't want to burn your popcorn. So what's the point? The point is that in any harvest, you're going to have the few that, that are bear fruit early. And then you have the main harvest where most of the fruit comes to bear. And then you have the gleanings, that which takes a while to bear fruit. So here, the Bible says that the 144,000 are the first fruits, which tells me a couple things. Number one, it tells me that they're part of the harvest. It tells me that they're saved. But number two, it tells me that they are but a harbinger of a much greater harvest, uh, many, many more to be saved. Now, who are these many, many more to be saved? Well, we've already talked about some of them. Uh, for instance, in the tribulation time, these 144,000, having been sealed of God at the beginning of the tribulation, are now the preachers during the tribulation period. And many thousands and hundreds of thousands and millions of people will come to Christ as a direct result of their ministry. So in that sense, they're the first fruits of many, many, many more that will be saved because of them in the tribulation. But the Bible also teaches that at the end of the tribulation, all of Israel will be saved. Remember that great verse in Zechariah chapter number 12? We talked about this when we did our podcast from Zechariah. But in Zechariah chapter 12 and verse number 10, remember that when Jesus returns, the nation will look on him whom they have pierced. And Israel will realize that we were the ones that rejected Messiah. We were the ones that were were complicit in the death of Messiah. And now we believe in Jesus as our Messiah. So the 144,000, they've already believed that. They believed that before Jesus did come back. They believed that they were following the lamb already. And so in that sense, they were the first fruits of an entire nation that will turn back to God. That's an exciting thing, is it not? Uh, maybe you are the first fruits of Christ in your family. Uh, maybe you're the first one that's come to faith in Christ and uh, you're among family members that do not yet know the Lord. And maybe your job is to be there first so you can witness faithfully to the others. Maybe you're the first fruits uh, of those that will be saved in your school or in your workplace. So there's a very practical application uh, of this term even to my life and to your life as well. Well, uh, let, let me just finish one last verse because we're out of time. Verse number five, and in their mouth uh, was found no guile. So they're honest in their message for they are without fault. The idea here is not sinless, but blameless, without fault before the throne of God. So the testimony of these 144,000 serves as a great example and a great encouragement to those of us that are in a society even today uh, that is more like the devil than it is like God. And yet God is faithful uh, to preserve, uh, to redeem, to use faithfully his own 
as first fruit messengers of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So I hope that helps today. Hope you have a great day in the Lord. God bless you, my friends. Thanks for taking time to listen. If you enjoy Everyday Truth, go ahead and subscribe to the podcast or share it with a friend. Until next time, God bless.